This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to episode 205 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from Washed Up Emo. Com. Today on the podcast, we welcome Kip Yulhorn from the Red Scare, Panthers, and Cloudland Canyon. We speak about, as you know, emo and hardcore from the late 90s and the many ways that I can sneak in another band from the Screamo era. I will do it. Kip has a long history of being in the industry across scoring and bands from the 90s through today. I encourage you to search out his many endeavors. Head on over to kipyulhorn.com. On a personal note, you might have noticed there was a lag between episodes. Well, it was something I needed to do. The podcast hits 10 years this October. Through many jobs that I've had in my real life, this was always the fun thing. And I needed a break to get the job going so I could continue the fun. So this podcast will not stop, and I appreciate everyone's messages and requests. I will get back to all of you very, very soon. Thank you to the Patreon supporters. You guys on the Discord are insane. If you want to check that out, patreon.com slash washed up emo. This is episode 205 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Kip Yulhorn from the Redskins. What's going on? How are you doing? We did it. I actually, I used to do uh, PR when I first moved to New York when like Panthers was just beginning. Mm-hmm. And uh, I worked at BMG. I think I worked at Atlantic for a little bit. Garlock worked at uh, Arista. Oh, right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I saw, oh, and you know how, actually, I'll, this is really funny. I got the job at BMG because my boss was Lyle Pressler from Minor Threat. And That's I, amazing. Uh, yeah, I know. I uh, I just walked in and uh, basically just talked about minor threat, and then like an hour later, I had a job that was like ten years above my my skill level. Just because you were down. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I I grew up in Memphis. I just uh, I moved away from here when I was about eighteen, and uh, just went to, just to go to college, and then afterwards New York. I th- I think initially I was really into like. The uh, let me turn my phone off. The Smiths and the Cure, I think, were like two two first bands that I went crazy on, or crazy for. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the Smiths, I guess, is a good band to do that with, just because there's so many so many different uh, you know singles and album. I, I guess I didn't get on the vinyl rabbit hole yet with them, but um, I feel like they were the first band that I really felt like was mine or something like that. How did you find them? Uh, through a. Fr- <laughs> Through a friend that I went to camp with, uh, he just you know lived in lived in St. Louis. Was probably had like a a uh, a larger ability to be exposed to things like that. 
So, or, and you know, honestly, I also had older cousins that would like, there's, there's a record store in Memphis actually that my friend owns called Shangri-La. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, obviously he didn't own it, but my cousins would always give me like gift certificates for Christmas or birthdays or whatever. I think they thought it was really cute that I was just super into music. So they would, they would, I would always get gift certificates to Shangri-La and like, just go ask whoever was working what I should listen to. That is so rad. Yeah. 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 And again, it's like you had that record and you got home and it wasn't like you could have a couple songs then. Oh man, this kind of sucks. Well, I can just go listen to something else. Like, right. no, that's the right. record you had. <laughs> yeah. 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 I kind of, yeah. I mean, you, you missed that, right? A little bit. No, that I, <laughs> no, no, no. This was uh, college was when I really had the internet and I could actually, you know, Napster and all that stuff, but I'm 41. So that was, no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant age, meaning you didn't no, no, have no, that. I, I thought you, I, I mean, like, did you, do you miss that era where you kind of were oh. like, you know, ho- held captive by a purchase? I miss, uh, I miss knowing track 12. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, certainly there's like a lot, can you think of something that you wouldn't have listened to that, uh, you kind of forced yourself? There was a, uh, record that I remember buying at pure pop records in Burlington. Um, oh shit. It was a um, it was a alternative record, and I thought it was a, the single was called Fearless. Oh shit! I'm looking at the cover. Anyway, I remember getting home okay. and being like, "The rest of this thing is absolute trash," but I have to yeah. listen to it because I drove 40 minutes with my dad, and it wasn't like I could go back, so I had to listen to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I um, I'm trying to, I think you know from the Smiths and the Cure, I went pretty heavy heavily into like you know. British shoegaze, that kind of thing. And I, and some of those records, like my bloody Valentine loveless, or like, I remember there's this band called curve that, uh, was just like some super obscure shoegaze band, maybe not even shoegaze, but you know, I didn't know what to do with that stuff, especially my bloody Valentine at first. Did it kind uh, of fuck you up? I, well, I mean, yeah. In terms of like what was capable or what was possible sonically it was, and you know, like how density can be used. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the main thing. The record was so dense that it's almost like, um, you know, I, that was probably one of the first records that I, I made myself listen to and, and it became rewarding eventually. Oh, I love that. Oh, I got what you mean. Sort of like the, I think the, the Texas, the reason record, I remember on the first listen through being like, oh, I'm okay with this. And then as I kept yeah. going, it was like, oh, I hear this now, or now I understand <laughs> how this connects. And when you're young, you're just yep. being stupid. Um, yeah. So and then no, I, what what were you what were you originally asking me? I guess I didn't answer that at all. No, no, you totally did. I just think it's sort <laughs> of the like seeing the trajectory of how someone starts to accumulate yeah. because it's not like we search into and I I wish I had it. I wish it would have been rad to be able to just search on the internet and listen to anything, but I liked this I liked I the search. I liked the I did like the struggle. I did like the, Yeah. I needed to get this to learn this and then go here. And maybe it looks archaic now, but I also thought I gave it more time. I gave it yeah. more, uh, I, I mean, you, s- you stared at records. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I feel like if, I, if we had, or at least me, if I, if I had a, I don't know how I would have reacted to having, like I have an eight year old son and he's, you know, really into music now um mostly black sabbath surprisingly but um he uh 
it always comes from movies too. But if he, it's it's kind of interesting to watch him uh, figure out what he likes, just because there's so much available. And like watching him have specific opinions about that, you're just like, I don't even, I don't know where this comes from. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like my mind would have exploded if I'd had, you know, YouTube, just the internet or, you know, could if I could have listened as a five-year-old to anything that I wanted to, I would have been, well, I guess I wouldn't have known any different, but. Right. And I think that's you know. the really funny part about this era and where I think your first band was sort of in and knowing that then. Yeah. And seeing it now, like I, 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 it is the last time that happened. It was the last time that, um, it was slow, uh, yeah. even though it felt, I think it felt, it obviously felt normal for us, but it didn't, um, I, I think that's a, that's a, it, you can get back scenes and there's things that will continue on and there's always a basement show, but I still think that time period was the last time that it felt like there was this physical connection or you had to go to the show. You needed yeah. to be at the record store to see it. It wasn't like you were going to get it on a message board or a text chain. Yeah. And I think one thing I feel like I miss a little bit, and I mean, this actually was kind of the case like 10 years ago with a lot of the stuff coming out on like Silt Breeze or, you know, being able to like go to the show and get something that you couldn't get anywhere else, mm -hmm. like from the merch table. That's really awesome. Um, I mean, and, and an extra incentive, obviously, to go see the band. But yeah, I mean, that's one thing I feel like is not so prevalent anymore. Right. Probably. That must be really interesting to watch your son uh, interact with music. Yeah, totally. It, um, yeah, it's great. Have you played in Red Scare yet? <laughs> I did actually once. Uh, just, and I haven't really done a whole time, like a, a bunch of that. Um, I don't think I've ever played Panthers for him. I mean, he's heard uh, Cloudland Canyon a lot just by virtue of being around it. But mm -hmm. like, yeah, the Red Scare was fun just because, you know, it's me screaming. So <laughs> I'm just watching him interact with that is pretty awesome. Uh, what, uh, when did you start playing guitar? Was it early on? Yeah, I was, I, my brother got a guitar when I, I guess I was about 13. Wow. And, uh, he just didn't take to it. And I just kind of taught myself how to play it over the course of a couple of years. And what, um, what about the sound that you were making when you were first writing and what, where was, was that, where was that coming from? And did you know about the sound that you were making that it had a name or that it was connected to other things? Um, some bands fall into it, you know, they just started making it and then meeting other people that made the same sounds. Like, yeah. again, that was the same thing where it's like, it wasn't like you could go online and hear what someone was sounding like. Yeah. I mean, I, th I feel like for the most part, up until I was probably like 16 or 17, I was, I was listening to stuff that was probably considered, you know, like all, I guess at that, at that point, alternative. I mm -hmm. mean, I've mentioned my bloody Valentine or like teenage fan club, the Smith, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like I really became aware uh, in Memphis of uh, like DIY culture or there's this place that we had called the Antenna that everybody would go see shows. That's like actually just got a, a national register of like historic places. Wow. Uh, put, put in front of. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, but there was a band called Cop Out that was like this hardcore band and, uh, you know, put out there in seven inches. And I think they actually they became his heroes gone eventually. Or, ah, yeah. Um, so, and actually that band also was around when I was like a teenager. Um, 
And I feel like those two things, Cop Out because Heroes Gone, kind of ended up explaining to me what that was about, what DIY was about. Um, and of course, like in that, along with like hearing Minor Threat, obviously, like um, and Minor Threat actually, come to think of it, was something that I had to listen to repeatedly in order to so- sort of get. And then when you when it clicks, it opens up a whole new world. How many times Sorry. did it take? Oh my God. <laughs> have you seen have you seen the Minor Threat live video? I had to. Yes, of course. I've, I've, okay. Yeah. Used to come on VHS. Yes. I don't know. I probably watched that at least ten times. Ten times is probably a low estimate. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then started playing, and uh, was it uh, was it okay? I I want to do this. I want to I want to be in a band. And, and, yeah. and you were at college and how did you find people that were sort of similar in that nature? Um, yeah, actually, well, I didn't move, I didn't go move to Knoxville to where we started the Red Scare till 97, which I think was my sophomore year of college. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine who was like a childhood friend of mine growing up moved with me and, uh, we actually started the Red Scare, he and I, um, and we, the drummer, trying to think how to explain this drummer for the red scare um matt hall i saw his band play one time when i was visiting knoxville and i just straight up went up to him afterwards and was just like dude we're gonna be in a band for sure (laughs) i love that yeah i mean he uh, he was kind of known he just did crazy shit when he played like he'd punch himself in the face on the snare beat just to be like a show off (laughs) In in a good way in a good way right but, uh, yeah. And then he, um, and our bass player, I don't, I don't know the, the guy that my friend that I said, I'd moved to Knoxville to start the band with or started the band with in Knoxville. Um, Adam Ewing, he, I don't know. He had a class, I think with Abby, who was our bass player and he just kind of brought her into the fold. But all of that really happened really quick. I guess we had, we already had plans to play with Matt when I, you know, when we moved to Knoxville. And then we played our first show, I think, uh, probably two or three months after I moved there. Wow. With Halal Shaddad. Oh, no shit. That was <laughs> your first show? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, which sounds scary, but somehow, I don't know, we, we just, I guess we practiced a lot. I, I feel like that's probably the best, like the tightest band I've ever been in. Um, but and that was always like a really easy thing to accomplish. So for a first show, it sounds intimidating, but it actually was like the best first show I've ever played. For sure. It's kind of like, you know, step up. Like, this is your time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, um, I mean, I just remember most first shows always being like kind of uh, tenuous or, you know, touch and go. But it was like the, it was the only first show I've, I've walked off the stage after feeling like, you know, that was awesome. And then so. did you, the, was the term emo or the term screamo floating around and what were your thoughts? on that? <laughs> I was thinking about that. I, I don't think I heard the term screamo maybe, or maybe I heard it and thought it was a joke or something. Um, I think that started happening like kind of after, I don't know, someone would probably correct me. I feel like that happened a little bit after the last Red Scare Orchid tour. Like maybe 2000. Mm-hmm. I feel like it must have been before then. E- emo, I honestly, uh, 
I think I always identified like in high school and I did get into like Indian summer and like all the gravity stuff was really important to me. Um, gravity records. Mm -hmm. But I, I feel like I mostly identified emo with, um, you know, brown paper bag, seven inches and screen printed covers. Yep. And, um, you know, talk, talking mixed in with, uh, screaming. Um, did you ever hear William Martyr 17? No. And um, the guy, the singer for it, uh, actually runs this label called Revenge now. Um, he ran that label File 13 for a long time. It was just a band that was from Little Rock, which is really close to Memphis, that um, might have been the first band that I interacted with or, or came to know that, you know, was was putting out seven inches in paper bags and screen printing them and s screaming and all of that stuff. And what did that, what, was that inspiring? Was that something that you said, oh, like, yeah. I can do this too? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But what specifically, you know, did that inspire or connect to either your playing or the yeah. band or even, you know, that time period? Um, I feel like, are you kind of asking if it was more cultural or musical? Yeah. Um, I feel like it's always been music like I, I creatively always try to uh yeah I have such structure in my everyday life I was thinking about this recently that um I always try to leave things in a creative space as knee-jerk or just as intuitive as possible and so I'm I'm sure it was like it must have been the music for sure I mean right. the DIY was cool and it's cool that everybody can put out their own record um I mean yeah that I I don't know probably both but yeah, I feel like initially the music. And uh, because you hadn't heard about Screamo, but you yeah. were playing with these types of shows or those <laughs> bands, can, right. you, can you talk about that time period? Can you bring people sure. back to what that was like and before yeah. the word was used? But that, but this, you know, frantic guitars, like explosive, the way I've, if you've listened to the podcast or you haven't, like I always say, yeah, like, I feel like... The mu that music was you feel like it's going to break and it's at this apex and it doesn't. Oh, that's a great description. I I've said that like a million times that I love it when music sounds like it's just going to completely falls apart and then just snaps right back together. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't. I mean, I think that the mo probably outside of music, the the most important thing or the coolest thing about that was the sense of community with all of that. Um, and I'm sure people, you know, obviously on the show have said this a million times, but just, you know, meeting a band in LA that you become friends with on tour and then, you know, you set up a show for them. Uh, we kind of became that with 400 years, I think pretty quickly. Also party of helicopters would, we would mm -hmm. trade shows with all the time. Um, Knoxville wasn't as punk. It was more <laughs> kind of artsy. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think, um, or at least that's kind of what we're involved in. So, um, I think that we, as the time went on, the Red Scare kind of became more involved with bands that like, like Hal El Shaddad. I mean, we, we signed to that label Trouble Man. So I think that, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that like we were kind of involved a little more with like indie rock ish type things. Mm -hmm. But, um, I mean, I think that with all of that, it was just under the larger umbrella of like DIY hardcore or whatever. Um, yeah, just, just, um, you know, I, I guess once you realize like you're on tour and you get into like Boise, Idaho, and there's actually people that know your band and are going to go, even if it's like 20 people or whatever, um, that 
kind of and I, and I think like people's willingness to check something out based on its like proximity to something else was really cool. You could kind of rely on uh, other people in the community's tastes prior to there being like Reddit or, you know, whatever discussion groups on Facebook. So I, I guess I kind of, it's almost like a more analog version of social media, right? Did you see that thing on The Onion the other day where it was like, the headline was like, dad hires private investigator to nail down what time band will play? That's what like. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, one of the, one, something you just said that I thought, I've always thought was really cool. Um, and I guess like when the Red Scare signed to Trouble Man, it kind of opened that door up for us a little bit more is that. Just just like everything uh, making sense in the same context. Um, you know, the fact that like the Red Scare could tour with Lightning Bolt or I remember we toured with this band Nuzzle from California. It was really, really mellow. But it, it's nice that like all of that stuff works together, you know, on the same page or under the same umbrella. And the people coming are it, it, it just if. Yes, there were times I walked out. Yes, there were times that I <laughs> couldn't stand something and I left. But for the yeah. most part, I just had this this willingness to be there because if you weren't, you didn't you you missed it. And I think yeah. I, I didn't want to miss anything. Sure. Yeah. And that I mean that kind of goes to what we were talking about earlier with things. I mean, I, I do agree, and this sounds like totally old man, but I do agree that the internet kind of made situations like that less special, right? I mean, it kind of removed, <laughs> removed the possibility of danger or anything unexpected happening on, on a level. Um, but yeah, I, is that kind of what you're, I mean, I, yeah. I feel, I, I really loved that, you know, um, how unique everything seemed for sure. Yeah. You're being scared. Did you ever see his heroes gone? I'm, when you first said it, I was trying to think if I had, and I'm I'm not going to be cool enough to say yes, so I I don't oh, remember. That I mean, to be honest with you, you'd know what I was talking about if you'd seen it. They 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 were fucking terrifying. Can I cuss on you? Yes. Um. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I loved it. I mean, I think and 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 that might even like supersede the answer I gave before. I loved <laughs> having the shit scared out of me by like cop out or his heroes gone like hardcore bands. You know that that dressed terrifyingly. That mm -hmm. just you know, um, yeah. I mean that that was a huge being freaked out or not freaked out, but just yeah, having a little uh, the looming possibility of danger is actually really cool. Right. In that in that situation. I think I was scared when I saw Sleepy Time Trio. Oh yeah, that's an yeah, that was another band that we uh, pretty quickly became friends with. Um, I think just because they were in North Carolina and we were in Knoxville. What about that all connected with you? If it was, you know, with Adam and Abby and, and, and Matt and, and you with that sound and what, what felt right when you were making a song? Oh man, that's a tough one. Um, what felt right when we were making a song? Um, well, let me, I'll answer it this way. We, um, that was the first band I think I was really in where everybody kind of trusted everyone. So even if Matt was, and maybe, maybe that's why people were into it. Um, we, I guess just because we all, I think all four of us ended up pushing the song. Uh, it, writing was really easy, but we all kind of, because we trusted one another. Um, if Matt does something that sounds like the Jesus lizard and I'm not super into it, it still <laughs> would feel, feel great. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And I mean, I guess, I guess like that, 
that nexus of like songwriting is is um I just feel like we pretty quickly got to that point where we trusted each other and um would kind of be yeah be more willing to be pushed out of our comfort zone mm-hmm. once I was pushed out of my comfort zone, I feel like that is probably uh the most exciting thing about it right and then yeah. for for you with guitar playing was it yeah. what what were some of the influences or some of the the ways that you got to where you were in those songs being chaotic having it be frantic having a lot going on um but also really melodic yeah true well i mean it's it's cool that you mentioned sleepy time trio i think right i think that sleepy time and 400 years had kind of just happened like literally right before we started the red scare so that was probably pretty fresh in my mind but also i feel like i I feel like I just really liked Born Against. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, I, yeah, and I mean a couple of I, I'm trying to think of like what else. I mean I I know that I really liked Unwound during that period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, Shotmaker was really great. Mm-hmm. Um, Were you into Boilermaker at all? Uh, maybe a little. I feel like I have a split record with okay. them. Who did they do a split with? Don't quiz me on that stuff. I'm too Ever- old. Um, do you, who? Do you, <laughs> uh, maybe Evergreen. You remember the California Evergreen? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was in a band in high school that uh, I think like shamelessly ripped them off constantly. <laughs> um, uh, I, I made you off topic, but Born Against, Unwound, Shotmaker. I feel like I always was going for, and, and maybe his hero has gone to a certain degree just because... I feel like I was always going for heavier and then got kind of pulled back into like um, something a little different by our rhythm section, which ended up being probably the entire reason why people were into it. Um, Some songs off of Capillary Lockdown, the yeah. Automate Insection, correct? Yeah. That's what it's called. Yeah. Uh, I thought you uh you always get points from me if there's a breakdown and i thought that was a great breakdown at the end of that one and it's oh, like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. very quick and it like it's not like the new york breakdown where they give you plenty of time to get in the pit like you need to know nice. that it's a breakdown before to get in in the pit and then it's done so you need to have yeah. your thing ready or you need to have your dive ready right 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 i think people i i think that's a song where i like scream something before the music starts again yeah probably yeah oh yeah i mean i feel like that was one of the first songs that we wrote for that record oh yeah we wrote that song on tour in a in greensboro north carolina when nobody came to our show so we just wrote songs instead wait what year was this uh probably like maybe 90 98 i mean i think a lot of the songs initially i would just bring in the parts and then we kind of arrange them together but then it seems like the more we got into it and we're kind of like writing together, the more like the more successful I thought it was. And then a few other ones from strangers die every day. If you yeah. felt like, I don't know, it felt advanced, like hearing yeah. risking your life with a capital R, like it sounds like you had a year of class and now you're teaching it or something, or yeah, you're on the yeah, next yeah. level. Well, we also switched guitar players. Um, uh, a really good friend of mine for another really good friend of mine. Um, this guy, uh, Jonathan Asher. Mm-hmm. Um, he now owns a modular synth store in Brooklyn called Control. 
Wait, uh, what does he own? He owns a mo- he mo- a modular synth store. Yeah, called Control. That's in Brooklyn. That's amazing. Yeah, it's cool. He he and another guy, um, named Darren, I think. But yeah, he. I guess while we were writing that record, and I feel like he, to, to like in large part, he kind of his playing and kind of like. Well, let me back up a second. We met him because he was going to put out our first record. He ran this label called Pyrology. Mm-hmm. And then we basically just made him. We just all liked him so much. We kind of made him move to Knoxville and hang out with us. And um, w- our first guitar player, Adam, quit. Um, just I think school was too intense or his parents were like trying to get him to not do it anymore. And then we just it was kind of natural to have John fill in or mm-hmm. just come, come on. Um, and I feel like that record is. I don't know. I, it's pretty, pretty well informed by like us kind of merging what we were doing with what he was doing. So a lot of, a lot of like the, the stuff that's really awesome on that, like tape loops or like, you know, um, there's some ambient stuff and like some instrumental stuff. He was kind of like, uh, the leader of that direction. I mean, to be fair, that's kind of the time where we all started listening to like, you know, like can or pink Floyd. Um, yeah, I mean that, that's, uh, that's also a big big part of that record um i feel like if we had gone further than the second record we probably would have ended up doing more of that um you know like sound collage or just i, I feel like we were starting to pick up speed with creatively i mean we all just kind of had shitty jobs yeah. um matt uh was and is an architect so he he was always just like totally slammed with school i mean you know 60 or 70 hours a week um and then the rest of us were just kind of working, yeah, just crappy jobs. Right. I, I worked at a photo, a photo mat for most of my, uh, I delivered pizza. <laughs> I think that that's, a good one. someone in a band has to do that. It's yeah, either Kinko's or a pizza restaurant. Right, right. <laughs> Kinko's might have, been, might have been better for being in a band. Right. Did you feel that there was movement or was it like, this is going to end soon, I got to do something else? I don't, I don't think we really thought about it. We, the last tour we did was with Orchid and, mm-hmm. and Light, Lightning Bolt, Song of Zarathustra. It's crazy. The Blood Brothers, um, just in different sections of this tour. So, I mean, we came off a tour that was really successful and then played CMJ in New York. And that was kind, kind of it. I, and I think we, I had moved to New York at that point and, um, we were kind of, uh, I, I don't. I don't think we really thought we were quitting. It just kind of worked out that way. Mm-hmm. It, was, it wasn't like we were trying to kill each other or anything. And then the last thing on Red Scare, did you think anyone would hit you up twenty years later and say, "Hey, Tom, Tom, tell me about Red Scare"? Like, did you <laughs> did you think about that time period and realize that it was special, or was it um, yeah. just kind of what just happened to be around you? Yeah, for sure. And to be honest with you, like I, a lot of how I feel about that band was informed by. The fact that we were, we were just all really close. Like I, I, that being in that band was great. I mean, obviously like we argued like any other band, but I don't know. We, we, it, I, I don't know. We all had like a almost telepathic connection. We, I, and maybe just cause we spent a ton of time together. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, that, that whole it, being in that band was really easy as far as interpersonal stuff. Right. I think too, what's interesting about your next band and next thing is, New York. I think we might have been in New York, moved around the same time. I moved okay. uh, July of 2000, um, yeah. moved to New York. And I think the being at labels and kind of hearing what was going on and this Brooklyn thing, 
um, yeah. which was crazy. Um, yeah, was and crazy. you and you guys were, um, you know, right in the middle of that with Panthers, and that was with yeah. uh, some of the guys from Orchid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was Jay and Jeff, and uh, uh, wait, two Jeffs. Sorry, yeah. Jeff Salani, Jeff Salani, Jeff Garlock, Jay Green, and then me and Justin Chernow, who was in Turing Machine at the time, but had been in like Unrest and Pitch Blend and a bunch of different things. Um, so it was me and Justin and then three people from Orchid, essentially. Right. And then what were you doing in New York and what was it like in that time period? I mean, I've, I've told people some stories about stuff that I'd seen in that era in Brooklyn and stuff, but how, how, what were you doing then and what were, what were some of the experiences kind of being in a band then? Um, man, that was great. It was, it was so much fun at that time. I feel like maybe I'm, as we're talking, I'm finding out that I'm like driven by new experiences, but I feel like during that time, it seemed really awesome that almost anything could happen. I mean, one day, uh, MTV two called us and asked us if Panthers would do the opening credits for, uh, 120 minutes. Um, and I just feel like being in New York at that time, like really anything could happen. Like, people like crazy like david blaine is coming to our shows i or you know um get asked to open for primal scream at irving plaza um so, yeah i mean so it was like, a pretty wild time yeah yeah and i mean obviously like the bands that we were friends with um liars and yeah yeah's um we should uh we actually shared a practice space with animal collective and black dice oh, i mean cool. on, on, honestly and gang gang dance as well um just being around all of those people was really inspiring. I worked at I worked on Fourth and Lafayette then, and yeah. so I was right across from Tower Bowery and CB's oh. was around the corner. Did you work at other music? No, I, I didn't. I worked at TVT Records. Do you remember that label? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Adam Shore, yes, he signed Panthers to Vice. You know, I was just thinking like another reason I think I moved to Vice. Actually, I started working at Trouble Man. Ah, what were you uh, doing for them? Um, just P- PR actually after, I, I guess after I that sick gig with a uh, minor threat. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty awesome. I, I, I interviewed, uh, Lyle, my boss. I don't know if we were recording when we were talking about that, but, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I did a really long interview with him for that magazine skyscraper. Totally remember skyscraper. Did it, did yeah. it ever come out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it came out. Uh, there's an interview in there. What, there's one issue that has an interview with the Red Scare, and I think it's the same issue that has Minor Threat. How pumped were you? Oh, so psyched, man. Like, I, me and that dude would, like, throw, like, those little Nerf stress balls at each other, like, during work. Like, have I, he just became, like, my super buddy. Wow. But totally weird. Yeah, I mean, also, like, yeah, there's a level of... I mean, I, I'm sure you are friends with a ton of people you admired as a kid, but yeah, it's definitely, I mean, that's like a strange outside looking in or like outer body sort of experience. Thing. Me and um, Aaron Hempel from Liars, uh, and I guess Angus too, for a while, maybe he was gone before I moved in. We we lived on, I think maybe even the stop that you're talking about, um, Meser- was it Meserol or Skulls or something? No, Skulls. It was Skulls? Because I always remember Jefferson scaring the crap out of me. Oh, I think that's past Skulls. Skulls is only like the fifth stop. But eventually, I think I got robbed at gunpoint at some point there. <laughs> Holy shit! Speaking of danger. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a different place back then. Um, a friend of mine just moved out there, kind of like Bushwick area, and, and she was telling me that, you know, or just was telling me how expensive her apartment is, which would have just been, 
God, I sound so old right now. Um, <laughs> but I mean, that would have been actually unthinkable at that point. Right. Yeah. People, it's... Yeah. I, I know exactly what you mean about the New York. Just the energy at that time was great. I'm, one thing I still can't believe is somehow how much, uh, like you were saying, like just running around chasing fun all the time. But doing that on the budget that we all had at the time is, is hard to even understand how that happened. I remember when Panthers first started, um, and just, I mean, I guess almost immediately. I'm trying to think how quickly. No, it probably took a year before we went on a tour, maybe. I think our first tour was actually with Q and Not You and Erase Arata. Um, and then the second, I just remember we went to the West Coast. It might have been like 2002. And we were just like, how, how, are, how are we doing this again financially? Like, who, how are we going to be a band in New York and take off like three or four weeks to go tour and then actually be able to pay rent or, you know, have a life when we got back? And somehow it just, I don't know, everything always kind of worked out then, I feel like. Were we just oblivious? Like, like Maybe. How, right? Like, Probably. That's, I'm trying, like, I try and think about that. Like, what did I not realize or what was I not doing yeah. And I'm also straight edge. So it's like, I'm not like I'm getting into too much trouble. Were you, but were you back then? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Well, I mean, it's a least, okay. So it's a little bit more reasonable for you, but yes, but I was at the shows. I was at the bars. I was hanging you out, got into, getting into stuff for free. Maybe, 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 but See, yeah, it's weird. Cause I still went to the record store and bought stuff that I couldn't get for free. Yeah, well, I'm trying to think what record store is around, and this is getting so inside baseball. It's what fine, record, it's fine. Generation <laughs> Records. Right, oh, yeah. Other. Like, um, Rivington? Wait, what was Generation on? Thompson. Right, yeah, yeah. What was the other, what, would you, what other one did you just say? Other Music, which was on 4th. Right, right. Kim's. I worked at Kim's, actually. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They always had the weirder stuff if I wanted to, like, dive down some weird like if, if i was getting into shoegaze yeah that's where i went yeah to, i mean honestly i didn't even think about that but that um working at that record store was like a total education um how so, so just like just working with people that knew a ton about music cool. and I, I mean like i remember the first day somebody played me do you know you know sunny Chirac? no it's um it's just it's kind of like free jazz it's really pretty he has this woman called or this record called black woman um, you'll, you, you should check it out for sure. I'll send you a link to a song. Um, it, uh, it just kind of blew my mind and I, and I feel like, yeah, that was another thing that was really exciting. I also worked at this record store, midnight records that is not around anymore. It was in Chelsea, like around 20, right across from the Chelsea hotel. Um, but yeah, I just feel like going into those stores every day to always discover something or be told about something or, you know, I just, it felt really dial, dialed into like a lifeline of just interesting cultural or creative things. Right. Yeah. I haven't really thought about that as much as, I don't know, I was kind of in my own world and playing in yeah. bands and, but you thinking back now or talking to other, it really, it, um, yeah, it's like that $20 story or the, the, the not knowing the set times and, and, and guessing, you know, leaving yeah. this show and going there, but then something else. And I know that that still happens. I always say yeah. that. Oh, I know it still happens. We're, we're idiots being home right now and, and talking and there's kids right now making it happen. But the, that again, the, it wasn't as fast. Like I remember we're getting angry when someone texted me cause it cost 25 cents. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. 
I I remember the longest time couldn't figure, not really understanding what text messaging could be used for. Just like, why are people doing that? <laughs> uh, so annoying. Just call me. <laughs> you know what? I, you know, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Why don't they just call me? Uh, what is this about? Now, I I was just thinking about honest. We so coming out of the Red Scare and that you know more of like a DIY, uh, you know, hardcore community. Um, I was thinking that that was like a pretty pretty crazy contrast to what what was going on with Panthers in New York but honestly not not even really because I mean I feel like Brooklyn seemed like a small scene it seemed like everything else that I'd experienced before that even though things were kind of like happening on a more like a larger scale and also like you've yes I think I definitely see the similarities and yes people were trying to get signed and there was this thing happening and you got to go get invite this person or you know people were begging Adam to go see them and uh, oh yeah, but Let's still talk more about Adam. Yeah, yeah, but but it's it it's still. It, I think there were still people that were like, "I'm just gonna do this thing, and it's really weird, and I don't care." And I think that's where it it it. I don't think it was everybody trying to be like, "I wanna I wanna get signed." Yeah, I I think that also kind of like taught me that you have no idea what people are gonna be into. Like I just I feel like, um. It seemed at first like, well, okay. I liked that that scene sort of rewarded things that were more out there. You know, it, at first it seemed like with the strokes and, and things that were a little more straight ahead that mm-hmm. it was going to be more about that. But then I feel like as time went on, you know, and then it produced Animal Collective or, you know, things that actually were super forward thinking. And that people outside of it like co- copied or loved. Oh, my God. How ma- Yeah. Yeah, as far I mean, I feel like that record person pitch, the Panda Bear record, kind of changed the way that kids that I like, I don't know, millennials make music. I, I like when records do that. It like it completely like rewires something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think there was a lot happening then. I was going to ask you what I've um, a big dream. I think or dream that I think people would not realize, but like Interpol's down, right? With like hardcore and like good <laughs> shit. Yeah, I think that. Um, yeah, um, they yeah they, their drummer Sam I think I think he was in hardcore bands like w- long time ago in Florida like kind of no idea scene mm-hmm. and then I, I think that their their first drummer Interpol's first drummer was the was Greg from Seisha or was he in Seisha Hot Cross same well, yeah 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 so they I mean if nothing else Interpol had two hardcore drummers right. Um, yeah, no, they were they were around. I feel like they were a little bit more removed. Um, there are a couple bands that were kind of not uh, bands that hung out as much. Like, um, you know, like obviously the Strokes didn't hang out with us. Um, but uh, Interpol was sort of like that. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that they kind of came from a punk or hardcore background. Right. I like that you said they didn't hang because that was part of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 man. That was fun. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Uh, uh, the thing I thought was funny uh, when I was reading through some uh, Pitchfork stuff because I always like to tell what the reviews are. I think you've, yeah. I think there were two reviews. I've never seen a more uh, difference between the two scores. Oh, I know what you're going to say. Okay, go ahead. The 2002 release got a 0. .7. Nice, yeah. And which, uh, scathing. I mean, fantastic. Yeah. And then 2003, that release got a 7.9 best new music. Yeah. I mean, well, from zero to hero. Yeah. Well, the title was Let's Get Serious. So. <laughs> but that was, that was a real thing. Because, I mean, at first we were just like, I don't think we realized initially that it was going to be put under so much scrutiny. Um, you didn't think your music was going to be reviewed like that? No, no, no. Well, I mean, I, um, well, before before I move ahead with that, the one funny thing about that point seven review. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they, yeah. Uh, I I honestly think a week later they reviewed the last Red Scare record, "Strangers Die Every Day," and gave it best new music. <laughs> so I mean, I yeah, I was probably confused at that point. Oh, that probably fucked you up. Oh, I mean, yeah, but also it's pitchfork, so. Yes, whatever. exactly. And revisionist history still happens today. Well, I start, yeah, exactly. I found out, I don't know if, you know, how, if this is common knowledge or whatever, but I think pitchfork, uh, someone told me that they often go back and change scores. I know they delete reviews. You can't yeah. find, you can't find, uh, if you add up all the uh, scores of Jimmy Eat World records, it uh -huh. equals 10. Really? And uh, three of them are not on there anymore. You have oh to go to God. you have to go to the Wayback Machine. Yeah. Yeah. No. I to to answer your question for a second ago. I no. I don't. Th I think when we started Panthers, we were just used to things being casual and playing shows to fifty people or whatever. And then, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, not even in, because of anything we did, but like, um, new, every everybody in New York was just kind of under like a magn uh, magnifying glass at that point. Um, or at least that's how it felt like. I mean, I just remember we would be able to go to like a newsstand <laughs> when those were still a thing and and read about our band. And it was just mind blowing, you know, just like in the the Fader or, you know, a hundred other magazines. That Village Voice. Anymore. Yeah. Village Voice was cool back then. The um, yeah, like the, the we the band on um, TVT that they tried to break from that scene. Ambulance LTD. Do you remember them? Yeah. I barely remember that, but I exactly. also kind of, I love re-remembering really peripheral things from that time. <laughs> Trying to remember, there's some other, that was, that must've been like late, right? Uh, oh, two. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, three, maybe. Um, speaking of TVT and Adam, uh, how long has it been since you've seen the Brian Jonestown documentary that he's in? I, it's been a minute. I need to see it again. Oh man. It's so funny. I, I didn't know I when I first saw that I didn't know Adam was in it. And oh, was, but it's yeah, it's funny him chasing around Anton on like rollerblades with like a Viking helmet. <laughs> That's really cool that you were able to, you know, jump here and be able to survive and have those odd jobs and um, yeah. And the Panthers were for about five years, right? Five or six years. Um, yeah, like probably six or seven. I oh, okay. That, I, I ended up moving from New York in 2006, or I think I had just, uh, Cloudland Canyon kind of had just come into being, and um, they ended up making um, the record called The Trick, is they, I, I wasn't on, mm -hmm. um, and so I think that they, I think that was like 2007, that was 2007. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, so 2007. 
Yeah, and then they did a tour. I'm just kind of remembering. I think they did like a final tour with maybe it was High on Fire or something. But that must have been 2007. So like seven or eight years. Probably. Not bad. Yeah. And I love the transition that you, you know, uh, the Cloudland Canyon stuff where (laughs) the experimentation, the the different sounds the it's sometimes chaotic sometimes melodic sometimes you know dreamy or shoegazy like it seems like all of your interests in in into one finally yeah i honestly that's kind of a really impressive (laughs) yeah you're right for sure um uh i i feel like the the common thread through all of those things is probably because i mean i've thought about this before density. I mean, it just, I, I think I just kind of gravitate towards things that are really like not, not heavy in like a, you know, like Slayer sense, but just like, just have, just heavier, whether it's like an emotional weight or just like, a, like a density to the music or like a heft to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, I always thought like, like typo was heavy to me. Wait, typo? Typo negative. Like oh my I, like, god! Like I thought they were heavy, but they had that like I felt like they were like giving you like bricks of lasagna, like to eat. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like it wasn't like like crowbar, like something yeah. like there's a there's not yeah. you're right, not heavy, but like there's more there's a like a I don't know like when I saw Neurosis, it felt like there was like this wall coming at me. Oh my god, Neurosis was great. I feel like that was another band like early on. I think they came through Memphis when I was really little and. You know, I, there's certain bands that I feel like explain to you that it's okay to do certain things. Like I feel like a lot of gra- like a lot of the Gravity records kind of opened us up to the idea of using synthesizers on a mm-hmm. record. Or, um, but Neurosis was like that. It was you know kind of like you're like watching someone pave a road. Yeah. Or, you know, blaze a trail or whatever the metaphor is. I love that. So yeah. with with Cloudland Canyon, what was what was exciting about that and um, you know, you're put again, like I said earlier, kind of putting together all your interests in, into one. And w- what was that? Um, what were you doing at that time, you know, professionally? And was this something that, you, you know, I, with your output in music, it seemed like you had a lot of, a lot of things ready to yeah. release. Yeah. 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 I am. Uh, well, you know, what's weird is, um, the way that that band started and it took us a while to kind of figure out what we wanted to do. Cause it really was just based on me and one other guy, Simon, from uh, King Khan and the Shrines. Um, he and I met because his, this is, this is really funny actually, I, I kind of forgot about this. His hardcore band was super into the Red Scare and I went uh, to Roadie in Europe for Song of Zarathustra, who by the way, I don't guess you've interviewed Travis, but man, that was a band, that band was so great, Song of Zarathustra. Where were they from? Have you, you haven't heard them? No. Oh my God. You need to add that to your list of things to send me. Yeah, I definitely will. (laughs) They, we kind of got them signed to trouble man. Um, and it, yeah, I don't don't even want to describe it. Just really, really great hardcore. Um, but yeah, I, I, um, just became really good friends with them. I mean, I liked them before I met them and just kind of, um, you know, just really enjoyed watching them play. And they asked me to roadie for them in Europe. And so I, I'd never been to Europe. I went, um, the band that was touring with them was Simon's band called Metrophone. Um, and they were just like a German version of, you know, uh, Shotmaker or, you know, that type of hardcore. Mm-hmm. 
maybe a little more Sonic Youthy. Um, and then Simon just started coming over to New York when I got back. Um, cause I mean, I, at that, he and I were both at a point weirdly where I forget exactly what he was more into hardcore surprisingly at the time. And I had just kind of gotten into like can or kraut rock or whatever. And, and it was actually really interesting to, um, I, I think I kind of turned him on. I mean, he knew a lot about the kraut rock stuff, but, um, you know, cause he grew up in, in Hamburg, Germany. And not Hamburg, I think it was Castle. And um, he, all of those bands in his mind were like super tramp or mm-hmm. just like, you know, like something his dad would listen to. <laughs> Actually, later on, we ended up like really bonding with his dad over like Tangerine Dream and stuff like that. Um, when we would play in Germany, his dad would come to our shows like with a like Tangerine Dream jean jacket on, like a patch. Like That's patch amazing. Pack. Yeah, he was really cool. Um, but yeah, I I think we kind of like just bonded over that and like weird experimental stuff that we were both listening to. I, I just feel like we were both at a point where we were kind of figuring out the direction that we were going to both take, you know, up ahead, mm-hmm. essentially. And so a lot of the early Cloudland stuff was just like he and I in a room just jamming for hours and then just editing it down. So, the, I mean, the first record that we did, uh, I think came out on TP in 2006 and that 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 sort of seemed like more of like tape collage or like sound ex- sonic sonic experiments and then I feel like pretty quickly after that we we sort of got into a mode where we had like a you know unified vision or collective consciousness um so it kind of let it, it seemed like you guys were sonically or or maybe spiritually meeting yeah and that- and having this connection. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, and I, and I feel like that's kind of how I exited Panthers also is, um, I remember garlic and I just having this conversation about like, he was like, you, you really just want to do that. Don't you? I was like, <laughs> yeah, kind of. So, um, but yeah, I think, I think as soon as that kind of came into being, that ended up being the majority of my focus. And then creatively, were you, working with a computer more was it keyboards was it was it uh other instruments that you hadn't played like a guitar or was guitar still your main one to sort of create a lot of these sounds um kind of both i mean i think that that's exactly the time when i started like um you know getting into synthesizers really heavily Mm -hmm. um i i remember i think the the cloudland tour that we did um we did put this record out on cranky called lion light i think coming out like 2008 and I I think I was still playing guitar live when we did that and probably yeah probably by like 2010 or something I was completely switched over to like electronics or synthesizer um I miss playing guitar actually <laughs> do you still have a guitar oh yeah yeah, yeah. no no I, I still play around like I'll I have um I've played in a couple bands in Memphis well there's a band called Panther Burns that I've played with a bunch um and yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I, wait, no, sorry. I was trying to think when the last time I've, yeah, I guess Panther Burns or I think I might have, I played with Dean and Britta for a while when I was living in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. When were you living there? Uh, 2016, 17, maybe a little 18. What was going on then? Um, I was just going to school. Um, so I, I was just out there for a couple of years. Actually, yeah, Garlock moved out there at the tail end of that. Yeah, right. I remember yeah. that. Um, yeah. The 
And then was that, what, what were you going to school for? Um, web development. Oh, cool. I, I, I had a job at Pandora for a while and just kind of, I kind of just kept getting these tech jobs and anyone that, you know, whose supervision I was under at those jobs would always like, Hey, maybe you should uh, learn how to code. So, yeah. What were you uh, doing at Pandora? Um, metadata analysis. That's fine. <laughs> what years were you there? Yeah. Um, let's see. I guess 2000. Oh, man. 2015 and 16. Oh, okay. Like Pandora is great. Working there was awesome. And everybody that works there is like in a band or. Right. Um, do you remember Aquarius Records? No. It's just a, it's like a record store that really, I think there's a documentary about it now in San Francisco that kind of was forced out of business or not forced, but you know, just rent and streaming and whatnot. Um, I think four or five years ago, maybe not that long ago, went out of business. Aquarius was really cool, especially for like Cloudland and Canyon and stuff. Um, because they wrote just these, you know, hard to believe as far as the length of the reviews on every record, like all their new releases every week. Mm -hmm. So getting, Aquarius Records. I mean, even back when Panthers and the Red Scare, because I mean, they musically, um, it's all types of music. But um, they had a newsletter that literally went out every week that was like the size of, um, you know, like a small magazine. Wow. And that just like a handful of staffers would write these, you know, it, they were just really in, into it. So, I mean, they were just really, it was just total labor of love. Like, um, just kind of always hipping you to new things or turning you on to whatever. Um, why was I even talking about that? Why? Oh, because they, <laughs> when Aquarius went out of business, all of those guys came over to work at Pandora. Ah, which is, which is really great. I, I think that they, I think they, they make at least an effort to staff Pandora with people that are, you know, that have been involved in music pretty heavily. Right. Yeah. No, so it's just tech bros. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. What, what was it like going back to school? Uh, difficult. I mean, it, just because, I mean, I hadn't done it in so long. Like I hadn't done it in 20 years. That's what I mean. What was it like? Uh, Everyone's 20 years younger than you? Like, Sort of. I mean, I, I was surprised. There were, there were people that were, I don't know. It was mainly just between like 20 and 20 and 50 there were mm -hmm. some people that were older than me i mean it was it was a it was a mixture the thing that i noticed the most is that all the people that were were learning programming were gamers or you know into video games ah which i never i i just never really took to that much um so there were lots of conversations set out at school listening to <laughs> you know whatever minecraft uh, yeah 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 i was trying to think of and then I, I didn't know what, I don't know what's a computer game or what's a video game, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it was California. So, I mean, a lot of people coming to class high, I mean, it, it was, it was nice. I mean, I, I made the mistake of going to school in the Valley, which I, I didn't really realize that when they asked me what campus I wanted to be at, I didn't realize that, that, uh, you had a choice. Yeah. I could have gone to the, the, um, Oh my God, I'm spacing on the, what is, what is the main campus called? What for, which, which, which school did you go oh, to? For UCLA. Oh, UCLA. Okay. So you weren't in uh, Westwood. That's what I, okay. That's, that's what I was trying to, you know, I wasn't, I was in Woodland Hills. Okay. Well, that was a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're right. hundred percent. hundred percent. Nothing going on out there. No. Nope. Uh, I think that's a really, uh, 
the, I don't know the, the uh, I love that. I love that you know you saw that and people were saying, "Hey, why don't you try to do this?" And going back to school and relearning or not relearning, but learning something new um yeah. was that's a big step. Yeah, and it I I had just I well, to be fair, I had just been through a divorce mm-hmm. and I had also I owned a couple of companies when I uh, moved to Memphis from New York. So I had just, just sold both companies and had just gotten divorced. So it was, you know, uh, definitely like at a crossroads or at a point where I needed to like figure out what the next move was. What was the, what was that, the moment that you said, I have to do that? Not necessarily, I'm not talking about the divorce. I understand there's probably some complexities and things, but like you sitting there and being like, all right, you know, picking yourself back up almost. Oh yeah. That's hard, right? Yeah. Just what were those, <laughs> what was it like? Were you sitting in, at home or at your, you know, you're back, back in your hometown and just being like, all right. I think, you know what? I, I can answer that. I think that I, uh, my, you know, everybody that was working at Pandora or a lot of people that were working, working at Pandora were contractors. Mm-hmm. And so I think I had just, you know, along, alongside people telling me like, Oh, this is something you might want to look into. Um, I, um, I, my position ended at Pandora. Um, I had a really great cause I, I had to, I went for onboarding in Oakland and then mainly was allowed to work at home in, in LA during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I think I had just kind of told myself like, look, if you can't, you know, if this position ends, you, you know, maybe I, I think I just started thinking about that naturally as my, as it became kind of apparent that metadata analysis wasn't really needed at Pandora. Right. So, and I mean, I I would have also probably continued in a different position, except, um, yeah, I would have had to probably live in San Francisco, which is kind of impossible. Yes. You know, yeah. (laughs) Talking about us spending (laughs) $20 to get a cab, you wouldn't even go a block. (laughs) I know, I know. Everybody, every, all like all my friends that worked at Pandora during that time, I just, you know, and lived in the Bay Area, were just the commute was nuts. Like they were like, oh yeah, I live an hour and a half away. I just, I don't know. I mean, I guess in New York, technically, it takes like forty-five minutes to get somewhere, or you know, however long on the train. But you're also on the train, you can fuck off and yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, That's awesome that you stayed in New York though. I did. I was in LA for a year and I was upstate for a few years at Equal Vision Records. I don't know if you know that oh, label, wow. like yeah, Bain yeah, yeah. and Converge and Saves yeah, the Day and stuff. Yeah. So I was up there for a few years, a dream to work there. And I got to work there for three and a half years. Then I went to Vagrant for a year in LA and then came oh, back. Wow. Then I came back to New York. So I'd been here almost 15 out of the 20 I've been here. You know, I that just made me think of, uh, I just watched that Jawbreaker documentary. Yes. That was a huge band for me, for sure. Like, I, I mean, I would drive when I was like junior or senior in high school, we would drive to go see them. Like, uh, when right after Dear You came out, I think maybe I saw them before that. But yeah, I, I loved Jawbreaker for sure. And I, I didn't even know until I saw that documentary that Vagrant had reissued Dear You. Right. I, I was fun. I had Adam on the podcast. Yeah. I, I, I listened to that one. Like, yeah. I, he, it it's kind of all over the place. I think if I'm listening to it back, just because I'm nervous and yeah. I wasn't, I've only been nervous for a few of them, but Adam, I was just like, Adam, you fucking kept the band alive. 
Like it's yeah, just like yeah, yeah. his. I was just like, you need every one of you. You need you in every band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. When I was listening to you interview him, I was just thinking about that was another person that talk about like tripping out or like out of body experience, like hanging out with Blake the few times that I did when I lived in New York. Yeah, that just mind blown. Oh right, yeah, like yeah. him at a bar hanging out, like what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we um, Justin from Panthers was really old friends with him. Ah, so I got I got to know him a little bit, um, but yeah, I feel like I never passed the stage where I was probably just totally uncomfortable as far as like just fanboying. <laughs> One not detrimental, but thing I would if I was going to complain about something about hardcore or getting into DIY sort of stuff in the you know mid '90s or when I was a kid, um, it would just be that you know there there were so many rules with mm-hmm. like what you could and couldn't do. And then I think the bands that always excited me the most were the bands that were kind of like, Nope, we're doing this. You know, we're going to do this inside this context. And I mean, I feel like jawbreaker. Um, and I mean, speaking of emo, I mean, I feel like, you know, that scene in the documentary when Adam is saying yes. <laughs> that, uh, they're, they're still, uh, people still care about them because of the lyrics. Mm hmm. I mean, yeah, people didn't write lyrics like that for sure in hardcore or, I mean, no. I guess, well, now that sounds silly just because like emo is a thing, but, um, it seemed like they were, they were covering new ground with the way that he would, uh, the way he would write. I think but, so too. Yeah. And yeah. then it, it, there, I mean, they're still referenced. It's still, I mean, the, the adulation when they were back was fantastic. Like it was you know, I, the only thing I remember it too, and there's obviously other examples for people that are older, but you know, when refused finally got that curtain call, you know, I yeah. never thought I'd see him again. And then for them to sell out arena or these, you know, big venues and, and get that adulation after so many years is like a cool thing. And I think jawbreaker, it's just great to see that. Let me ask you something. Did they, I never was super into refused, but well, all the guys in orchid were totally into refused. I, for some reason that just never clicked with me, but I think you remember that band Frodus? Of course. Okay, I feel like the Red Scare played a show with Refused and Frodus somewhere. That somewhere was in that South. tour. Okay. Yeah. No, that's. I mean, did you did you realize how massive Refused was before, prior to them reforming? Yes. Okay. When I was working at BMG, I remember that there were people that I, you just wouldn't expect that were like were my. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not not peers, but uh, colleagues. Mm-hmm. I guess that seems a little too intense of a word. But um, other people that worked at BMG were super into Refuse. This was like 2000, and I just that's when I really was like, oh man, that, it's it's crazy that that kind of became that they almost became like the uh, the benchmark or like the paradigm for that type of hardcore weird, like weirdly after the fact almost. Oh yeah. No, they were so big after I remember opening up guitar world and every butt rock band would yeah. list out that record. Really? And, you're, and I was like, what the fuck? How did some stupid band on Roadrunner? like no offense to Roadrunner, but no. you know what I mean? Like, like how the fuck did they, and it just, it transcended, um, genres and i think it just like bubbled and bubbled and finally the reason kind of going through that is like that uh those moments for those bands and kind of what happens to a record after um you know kids are finding out about the red scare today or panthers or somebody's going down a 
a crazy rabbit hole with Cloudland Canyon. And that's kind of a beautiful thing, just as much as the guy at the record store when you were 13 handing you a record. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, actually the, um, we just, we just put the Red Scare stuff up on Apple music and Spotify. I, to be honest with you, I kind of thought it was already up there and then realized that trouble man doesn't have anything up there anymore. Yeah, I'm glad that that stuff is finally up there. You're now scoring films, correct? Is that something else you're up to? You know, like eight years ago, I've kind of had to um, limit to a certain degree how much I can work on stuff. But yeah, I scored a film called Miss Lovely and I think it was 2014 that ended up going to Cannes. Um, I think it won some category, but it was it was just this. Um, and, I, and I've done like some smaller, I guess that, that this was really the biggest thing that I've done, meaning that it's, I guess, I think it's on Netflix. So I count that as like the biggest thing, but, um, yeah, I'd like to do more. Hopefully I'm, I'm kind of finally getting to a point where I probably can take on a little more. So I'll, I'll probably start like looking around for a little more of that to do. Cool. And then what are, what are you up to now? Are you still doing the web development stuff? Um, I had this company approach me. I, I was for a couple of years and then a company approached me, this tech company and asked me if I would do data science. Um, which I, you know, don't, you know, I don't really have much of a background in other than like Pandora and, uh, I worked temporarily for Google for a while. Um, but yeah, it's so much fun. I don't, I, I don't know if I will actually go back to web development. Um, I just, yeah, my job is amazing. It's this company called Indigo. That's like, uh, a tech company that's geared towards sustainable agriculture or more sustainable agriculture. Oh, I love that. Like, yeah, it's really great. I mean, it feels good to be doing something positive for like the universe or whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't, uh, yeah, who knows if I'll go back to coding. <laughs> um, I mean, that is really, coding is intense. I mean, you, you really have to like take every precaution that you, you can to ensure that you're mentally able to, to, to focus. Like, I mean, it just requires so much focus mentally that, um, I mean, that's probably, the most I've ever been worn out from a job. Wow. Yeah. Um, I mean, including like, you know, stacking boxes or something. Yeah. I feel like coding just require, (laughs) requires a, a a reserve of, of some type of of focus or something. And when, when you think back about, you know, the, the music you've done and, and you're able to be be creative, um, there any, you know, things that, you've wanted to do or things that you've thought about that you want to do next and yes, families first and, and yeah. all those things, but anything else that you've been thinking about? Um, yeah, well that, you know, to be honest with you, that's kind of a, that, that's an issue that I have is I have done, I have done so much. See, and I think I, we've kind of talked about like, well, it seems, it seems that I gravitate towards things that are exciting or, you know, like new experiences, high sensation, et cetera. Um, so I, I think that that, um, is really the only thing that's ever slowed me down is kind of needing, trying to figure out what the direction that I want to go is. I just feel like in order to keep myself engaged, I have to kind of, I don't know, think of like a new, like a theme or, or something that'll kind of like get me in, in, you know, get me excited about whatever's going on. So I, I need to, I mean, I'd like to score more film for sure. Um, I have to, I'm probably going to do a Cloudland record for light in the attic, uh, whenever I can get it together to finish it. I keep wanting to call a record. God bless Kip Yolhorn. 
And then uh, some friends of mine have encouraged me to do that, which, you know, that might they might actually just be uh, maybe not laughing with me. But um, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, yeah, I probably will do another Cloudland record. Well, it'll either be Cloudland or uh, might just do it under my name, Solo. I've kind of avoided that forever. Um, and then I have another record coming out that I, I'll talk more about some other time. But um, it's more... Uh, it's kind of a secret record. It's more uh, along the lines of like, uh, you know, like a film score, like some, you know, electronic kind of soundscape-ish type things. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. As long as uh, the, as long as the screamo heart's still in it, I'm down. Yeah. You know, I was. It's funny. I I always I kind of realized at a certain. I mean, I think that this like speaks to almost like the theme of your podcast completely, but. Um, even as I started playing in bands that kind of were like farther away from, you know, like hardcore roots, um, I was talking about with a friend of mine one time about how I, you know, like I, we were just saying like, man, I almost don't trust people that didn't come from like a hardcore background musically. So, I mean, I, I feel like that it is, yeah, it is like a handshake or a rite of passage and, and maybe not like a, you know, like trying to be cool, but just you, it's, it's an assurance that the whoever you're talking to is kind of can you know uh comes from a similar place yeah and it, and and it, and it, it there, there you don't need to say anything else someone walks in and sees the fugazi poster i don't yeah. th- there's nothing to say cool you know what, you know you know what i just remember that's actually really <laughs> interesting is we recorded speaking of fugazi both red scare records with don zentera wow and that i mean that was definitely like you know, outer body, you know, whatever, uh, just tripping out on how I can't believe we're doing this. But, um, was he cool? Oh man, he was awesome. Like he, he was the best. Um, he got, he, you know, sliding scale. We just, I, I think we just were, I don't know, maybe we were stoned or something. And just that, you know, when people still have landlines, we just called him. We just looked him up and we were like, Hey man, wouldn't that be cool? We could record with Don. And then he he just he answered the phone and literally within ten minutes he was like all right when do you want to come so that that experience was amazing by the way just in general like we yeah we recorded two records with him I think we did both LPs in like three days or maybe less I think when 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 Trouble Man came to us for uh, to start put, I think they Trouble Man released the first one but we had we it was already done at that point in fact it was supposed to come out on Donut Friends. Did did you know of like Harriet the Spy or Yes. Okay, so Jamie Stelmer. I had Jamie on. Oh, okay, awesome. Yeah, he and I are old friends. He's he's amazing. Um that was it was his label, Donut Friends. He was gonna put it out. Um Trouble Man asked Jamie if he could do it. And Jamie Harriet the Spy and Party of Helicopters were both already on Trouble Man, so I guess it was maybe difficult to say no. Um and then the second LP we recorded you know, we had like a budget, like Mike gave us money and we were able to spend like a little more time there. That's um, amazing. Yeah. And I mean, like just the history of that place in our ear was really, you know, it was like a culmination of everything that we'd been excited about for probably, you know, the past 10 years of our lives at that point. Right. Yep. What's the moral of the story? Pick up the phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The phone is where business gets done. Yes. <laughs> there there are chilies. <laughs> uh I do 
I do love the the way that the, your music connects and how it's evolved and you've had these different experiences and, 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 uh, you know, changes and things. And, um, it's, it seems that the, the creative, the creativity and the fire is still in you. Um, and I think, you know, from those first few times and getting those records or having people, you see those bands that kind of change your life. It's, it seems to be still happening to you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, I, th- is that, I mean, I feel like every, is, is not everybody like that? No. <laughs> no, no. The reason is some people, like you said, with having a kid or having a divorce or having some issue thing happen where they can't do it or now they're doing this and they're trying and, or they're doing something else and they're, it, it, it's, I think it's, um, I don't think it's always that easy. Yeah, I well, I, I can say this. There were so many times where I thought that I would stop playing music. I mean, I um, or put it way on the back burner. I mean, I I never really saw myself as a lifer, and you know, um, and I mean, I don't know that I am, but I mean, it's it's definitely worked out that there's all there's always been something to kind of keep me going. And I mean, I think the I made a rule for myself early on, not a rule, but you know, I just kind of had this in my mind that. I would just keep putting out records until people stopped asking me to put out records. So, I mean, I guess that's kind of what I've abided by mostly. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, that's a good way. I, I feel like that's also motivating. Um, you know, I mean, I feel like you, you can kind of get used to being in a band, kind of get used to having like a deadline from a label. And I feel like, uh, there's a Cloudland record in 2010 called Fen Eves. And I mean, I, I literally worked on it every day for two years. Wow. Just constantly. And I, I don't necessarily know that that would have been the case if I'd had someone, you know, breathing down my neck about it. So, I mean, it, 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 it's, um, yeah, things have really changed during that amount of time too, you know, as far as like the way people, uh, enjoy music or like the, the format in which they enjoy music. Right. I almost like thought that like, I want your, I mean, if they're thinking about your stuff, it's like, I want the red scare on a seven inch. I want, <laughs> I want the Panthers on a CD and then I want Cloudland on a, on, on a vinyl record. Cause I want it. I don't want to switch. Yeah. If you'd said streaming, I would have been like, yeah, that makes sense too. But yeah, all of that, that totally makes sense. Do you still buy CDs? No. Uh, unless it's, there's two band, no one band that I'll buy a CD and that's it. Um, yeah. And then everything else. And I only buy vinyl if I'm going to listen to it. Nice. I'm, I'm none of that bullshit where I need the fucking blue and the, in the pink and the splatter and make sure that it's from this country. And it's, I want to yeah. listen to it. Yeah. I, you know what? I kind of can't stand colored vinyl. Uh, once I realized, I think that it doesn't sound that great. Right. I think I stopped being good to it. Um, yeah, I, so you're not a completist. Uh, there's one band, there are two bands I'm a completist on where I need everything, but other yeah. than that, I just want to listen to it. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I, yeah, I, that's one thing that I'm always kind of considering is like the amount of records that I have and the amount of time I spend or don't spend listening to them. Um, cause honestly, it's just easier to listen to stuff on your phone. Yes. But, um, yeah, sometimes I wonder what, how much of a justica- justification I have left to continue owning all of these records. 
Yeah, there's, I've definitely, there's a few friends of mine that know that they sometimes just get a giant box from me. <laughs> really? Yeah, the one guy has a hashtag, I think it's on Instagram, Tom's Records. Okay. And uh, it's just like, I send him, I actually have another like 20 to send him um, that is just like, all right, I'm done. Um, that's, that's awesome, man. So you just, you just surprise people with records? Yeah. Like the record fairy. That's awesome. Well, cause I get, I've been, I've, I haven't paid. Well, I mean, I buy stuff on my own, but like I've been getting free music since 1996. And right. so, you know, the, the amount of stuff that I've gotten, I've been able to listen to everything. And now with washed up emo, I get sent all the, you know, promo stuff ahead of time. Like, yeah. So it's just like, if I'm going to get a record and I'm not going to listen to it, I'm going to send it to someone else because it does. I also live in a studio apartment, so there's only so yeah. much room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I couldn't have this amount of records and live in New York now. This would be impossible. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Um, well, I really appreciate that you took the time to do yeah, this, man. and I'm so glad that Jeff mentioned. I was so nervous doing it with Jeff. Um, oh yeah. Just because I don't know. Everyone hates this word, and so yeah. it's always interesting. It's almost like. Uh, I'm a, I'm like a bad date before, before I get somewhere, if that makes sense. Like they already know I'm like, I don't know, damaged goods before I get there. It's a weird, the word is just such a weird world, um, or, uh, evolve. And so, uh, but Jeff was great. So it's on, it's a rad that he, uh, you know, mentioned it to you. Yeah. 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 Um, that, yeah, I'm glad that you had him on there. They, um, Orchid, Orchid was like such a great band. Yeah, I thought, again, someone was asking me, they're like, oh, you need to have, you know, more of the, you know, bigger bands if you want to have a bigger podcast. And I was like, that's great, but I don't care because they already have enough help. Like, they, <laughs> I don't, they don't need my help. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, Orchid or you guys are, you know, talking about an obscure band uh, is, is matters more. So, yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. yeah, you know what, man? Like the interview that I listened to that you did with Indian summer that, that what? Yeah. I, now I kind of, I'm, I'm understanding more what you just said. Yeah. It is really awesome that you, you can kind of shine a light on that type of stuff. Cause I, yeah, a lot of those bands are pretty, you know, especially bands that didn't make it onto CD, uh, eventually or whatever. Like a lot of them definitely or streaming. Are. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I had a similar experience meeting like, um, Henry Rollins got in touch with me about what? cloudland. For yeah. what? That's a fucking rad. Yeah, just to be like, I he and I have become like buddies, like pen pals. He has a show on um K. I don't think it's K Rock. No, I think it's like a serious satellite. He has a anyway. He has a radio show in L. A. Um, and he just plays awesome stuff. And he, I guess, at one point in time, was like just playing a ton of Cloudland stuff and wrote me about it. And um, I, I'll never forget like the email I got from him was like he was describing almost in like poetic form <laughs> how one of the cloudland records had impacted him and i was like this is as good as it gets basically wow yeah that rules of uh ian only called him hank when I, he was talking <laughs> about him yeah i was I, I was so prepared for henry rollins to be so intimidating and he's such a nice guy his house uh is actually like a library slash archive if you've ever like, if you've listened to his radio, if you see how intense he is about music or books or anything, you can kind of get it. I mean, he really is like, um, yeah, I mean, he's like a true archivist. I wish he would start making music again. I I've asked him a couple times to like, 
you know, just even do spoken word on something, you know, just cause what's his response. I, I think he, well, I can't remember exactly, but just he, I feel like he always kind of shies away from it. I, and he's told me on a couple of occasions that he doesn't, you know, he just doesn't do that anymore. I don't know if that's changed in recent, recent times, but yeah, I guess at a certain point he made a conscious decision to just stop doing it. Yeah. So, but I mean, I, you know, that, that also makes sense. I mean, if you do it for long enough, feel like you've said what you need to say. Right. Kind of get that. Not yet. Not yet for us, right? I hope not. We're still squawking about this <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Kip, um, yeah. Uh, no, but thanks so much for having me, for real. Always appreciate it. And again, this was a little bit over the hour that I had said originally, but um, thank you again for uh, yeah. taking some time. Of course, thanks.